The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 239. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a time lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Bravehearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding. Position universe. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Panelsy! I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Ta-da! She'll be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the sixth Doctor story, Mind Warp. And joining me today on the panel are Father Cory Stika. Hi, Father Cory. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, uh, remember to follow The Secrets of Doctor Who in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, your favorite podcast app, or at the SQPN YouTube channel, where you should hit the bell to get notifications. Also want to recommend another StarQuest show you might be interested in, a new one called Let's Science. It's a bi-weekly show, which is about 20 minutes at a time, covering a really fun or interesting topic of science or two from our friends who are the, the Catholics of Oz from Adelaide in Australia. Melbourne? Actually, more like Melbourne, I think. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Sorry, guys. Melbourne, Australia. Anyway, so check that out. Again, wherever you find podcasts or at sqpn.com slash science. All right, so we're talking about Mind Warp today, uh, and this is, just as a quick reminder, the second serial of the Trial of a Time Lord season of The Sixth Doctor. And uh, Jimmy, can you give us a quick recap of this one? With the Trial of a Time Lord still in progress, the Valyard shows another of the Doctor's adventures in which he meddles in the affairs of other planets. This time, he shows us the Doctor's most recent trip, on which he took Perry to the home planet of the commerce-obsessed slug creature Sill, who we met back in Vengeance on Varos. The planet is ruled by the Grand Nagus, a slug Mm. named Lord Kiv, and he is suffering from really bad headaches that are getting worse. His brain is growing too big for his skull, and he's got a human scientist named Crozier who's doing horrible Island of Dr. Moreau experiments to find a way to transplant his brain into someone else. Crozier thinks the doctor has crucial information and does a brain scan that addles the doctor's mind so that he becomes, or at least appears to become, a paranoid, amoral mad scientist, and he totally betrays Perry and tortures her during interrogation. Meanwhile, the barbarian warlord King Irkanos, who is sweet on Perry and comes to regard her as his bride-to-be and future queen, tries to lead a slave rebellion against the slugs, but they aren't successful. In the end, Perry is captured, Crozier shaves her head so that she's completely bald. As things are coming to a crisis point, the Time Lords materialize the TARDIS on the planet and compel the Doctor to enter it, yanking him away for the trial. After he's gone, the uh, Crozier then transplants Kiv's mind into Perry's head, destroying her completely and turning her into a shouting villain in the body of a human woman. Then, by the manipulation of the Time Lords, King Urkanos bursts in and kills all of them, including Perry, 
so that people elsewhere in the universe can't learn the secret of mind transference. And thus, Perry is given uh, the worst fate of any Doctor Who companion ever, before mm-hmm. or since, a death more terrifying than even Adric's. Yeah. The end. Okay. Jumping to the end, then, because I, again, <laughs> I have not seen any, any of the Sixth Doctor after this. Is Perry really dead? Well, in this timeline, yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, this is Dark Dude, Wibbly Wobbly. I, okay. Uh, well, so, spoilers. Spoilers. Yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, because that's that's the thing is I don't know. Like, with that's one of the problems I have with Doctor Who in general is these when when people die, I don't know how to take it. it am mm-hmm. I supposed to feel the emotional loss, or am I just going to assume a la um, Clara? Clara. Uh, Cla- like Clara, the emotional, oh, she's dead. Not really. And I'm like, ah, that's, it feels like a cheat. So that's where I'm like looking at Perry dying. And I'm thinking, oh, well, but the doctor comes back and saves her, doesn't he? Right? No. No, he doesn't come back <laughs> to save her. And, you know, and think about this now. So it's actually what? This is only the halfway point of the season. Yeah. Well, more, less. More or less. Think. Yeah. More or less. More Because anyway, we still got two more serials. Because we've got right. the well, the third one and a half. One and a half the, the last one, the last one is half length. But, oh, okay. But so they still got what I guess so six weeks then that, that yeah. when this was airing live that they're like wait they killed her and we still got six weeks left of the season what's going on here right you know right. so and I I, I assume he's going to pick up uh, Mel at some point yes next right. Mel comes in next episode okay. as the companion from the future he hasn't met yet all right okay so, yeah. yeah. Man, I I just like to, okay. So that, Perry's dead. That we don't see Perry again in live action. Uh, although I assume she shows up in Big Finish and other stuff. Oh, she's all over Big Finish. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Perry then, because I just feel like of all the companions in Classic Who uh, that I've seen, okay, that I've seen, yep. I feel like she was treated the worst by the writers. Uh-huh. I think she got the short end of the stick, like, really bad. Agreed. Because she, when she moved from the fifth to the sixth Doctor, he was just horrible to her the entire time. He, he's been terrible to her. Well, they've gotten better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was obviously at its worst in the first episode where he tries to strangle her. Um, yeah. But then it gets somewhat better to where they're just bickering constantly. Right. In in this, by the time the trial of a Time Lord season starts, you can see that the characters are relating to each other more warmly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's still this, there's still this same kind of dynamic, but they're more at peace with each other. And there's an example of this in this episode where the, and I don't know if this is an acting choice or if this was in the script itself, but it shows them relating much better to each other because the doctor at one point is saying sometimes i wish i'd never left gallifrey and and perry says yeah sometimes i wish that too yeah and <laughs> and then and then he looks at her and they both just kind of smirk mm-hmm. right and treat it as a joke right like yeah i, I th- those those are actually i think almost i kind of feel like those are a- the directorial and or acting choices to kind of smooth out some of the bickering right. and that that that's been written for them for example perry the, the some of the writing i don't like is perry's constantly whimpering throughout these stories yeah. like this this these, yeah. this uh serial she's constantly whimpering 
And the doctor consistently ignores her worries, her desire to return to the TARDIS. And I get that they have the Time Lords at the trial bring that up. They actually, I mean, credit to them. They actually bring that up, that how he ignores her concerns and wanting to go, uh, which they will then use against him when she dies, although it's really their fault. But uh, it, it's totally their fault. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he probably would have saved I, her if if they didn't yanked him out. Yeah. You know, I all. I also like how the Valyard points out he did a spreadsheet and found out that the doctor's companions are put in danger twice as often as the doctor. <laughs> right. Well, there's twice as many of them sometimes. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and, and unfortunately, this is kind of, a, I would kind of as to throw a, a counter, I guess, is this is kind of a flaw in Perry's character in general. You, you haven't seen yet, Dom, when she actually gets introduced to the TARDIS. And it's right. uh, not the most flattering scene <laughs> okay all right where yeah, she basically half drowns herself and oh right yeah and the uh Turlo. lanzarote planted a fire episode yeah, yeah. so it's not she- the most flattering <laughs> okay uh yeah the the companions like i mean i've only seen part of mel but mel doesn't get treated all that well either so it's kind of Oh, I would much rather be Mel than be well, Perry, yeah. except if I except had to be her, a companion. Well, her fate is arguably better. She doesn't die, but she does go off with Sabalom Glitz. Well, <laughs> no, I, I, well, I wasn't, I wasn't even, I wasn't thinking of the companion's fate. Oh, it's okay. just, n- n- Perry is this whining, chronically unhappy person. Right. And Mel is not. Nope. She's kind of she, the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Overly bubbly. Yeah. And likes carrot juice, as the doctor despises. Yeah. <laughs> But but none of them are Jamie's or Sarah Jane's right. or Romana's or Donna. Or, well, <laughs> if we want to uh, yeah, go to the I mean, Who, but yeah, yeah. But just sticking with the kinds of companions they had in in Classic Who, right? There were way better companions yeah. than Perry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt bad because I I mean, there's something about her I want to like, but they just mm-hmm. kept writing such bad stuff for her. Yeah. Anyway, let's yeah. rather than belabor that point. Uh, I want to mention Brian Blessed in this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Over the top. Yeah. Awesome. Brian you know, Blessed at, at his biggest. <laughs> they talk about chewing up the scenery. Brian Blessed doesn't just chew up the scenery. He gobbles <laughs> up, it up. He gnaws on it like a dog with an old bone. I mean, there, he's <laughs> way beyond chewing out. up the scenery. Yeah. And, he and is the scenery. spits it out again. <laughs> yeah. <it's> yeah. <laughs> Oh, I love him. <laughs> he's so yeah, great. Yeah, he, he he's 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 reprising his role as Prince Volton from Flash Gordon, only yeah. even more so yeah. with <laughs> yes. weird kabuki hand gestures and hissing and trills and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> he does almost not expect hold to hear, back. Almost expect to hear a Flash Gordon is alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently he gave up like a major movie role to to do this because he really wanted to do Doctor Who. So that's awesome. Just, yeah. I give him credit for that. One chronological note on this uh, story is, even though he didn't have anything to do with it, it was during the production of this story that longtime uh, Doctor Who writer Robert Holmes passed away. Mm-hmm. And that's going to have repercussions for how the rest of this season plays out, because he, therefore, he wasn't available to mm-hmm. finish writing some of the stuff he was working on for later this series. Right. It also led to a huge falling out between the script editor, Eric Sayward, and Holmes's death. Led to a huge falling out between Eric Sayward and John Nathan Turner, the uh, the producer, which is going to have reper- repercussions later in the series. 
Sayward, though, thought that this story, Mind Warp, was the best of the Trial of a Time Lord season, and I think I have to agree. Mm -hmm. This is a gloriously stupid story (laughs) with bright, ridiculous colors and great great heaps of overacting. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love how absolutely goofy and over-the-top the the whole story is. On and even though even though I can enjoy it, I totally understand why the BBC might want to cancel the series (laughs) (laughs) at this point in its development. When you if you're watching this from the perspective of a non fan Mm -hmm. and as a BBC executive, you could easily say this is this is something we don't want on our airwaves. Yeah, (laughs) right. Well, it's it's interesting though because we watch this and then we watch. For Secrets of Star Trek, we watched a, D- a TNG episode that was aired just a year later. Right. And the comparison between the two of them, which were contemporary television yeah. broadcast sci-fi, is so night and day. It's so night and day. You literally read my mind there. I, maybe you did. Uh, because yeah. I was just oh. about to make that point, is comparing this to other sci-fi of that era in just the the quality. I mean, the the writing... There was there was there was worse sci-fi writing at the time. I yeah. mean that there is there was some bad ones, but just the star produ- cops, yeah, <laughs> right. Some but the TNG episodes, <laughs> yeah, some TNG, right. But the production quality, you know, the acting, the that sort of stuff was really vastly different. This was more like Saturday morning kids productions. Well, because this was has its origins as a kids show, right? Um, it's meant to be all family viewing for tea time on Saturdays. Whereas Star Trek The Next Generation, although it was meant to be accessible to kids, was not aimed at kids, right. but mm-hmm. at adults. Right. Well, I think there's also an aspect of the BBC that got lazy with it. You know, they, yeah. they, I mean, they never really funded it to the extent that they could have or maybe should have, but they really were riding on the laurels of the past of, the, of Doctor Who at this point. And it was because, yeah. again, we are within, you know, well, there was thought that at the end of the season they would cancel it. And then we are within just a couple of seasons of them do finally putting it on hiatus until 2005. Yeah. They're actually, in this season, they know that they're in danger of cancellation mm-hmm. because they just come out of the 18-month hiatus, and that's why they decided to do this metafictional trial of a Time Lord right. season because they knew the, se- the series itself is on trial. So they're trying here, but I just think they they don't have the right people and funding mm-hmm. to pull off a um, complete tonal change mm. in the series. I don't think they were trying for a complete tonal change. Right, right. Yeah, speaking of uh, Saturday Morning Kids, they had to, they were attacked by H.R. Puffin stuff at the beginning there in that cave. The creature, it looked a little bit like that. Um, one of the things, you know, when you're talking about like the uh, falling up between Eric Sayward and Jonathan, uh, Nathan, Jonathan, Nathan Turner. John Nathan John Turner. John Nathan Turner. <laughs> I could say that. Uh, that. That actually affected this episode i was reading when colin baker was trying to figure out at one point am i really turned am i really a traitor is it a ploy what's going on he couldn't get a straight answer from anyone he'd go to sayward he'd say go ask turner you go to Turner, go ask Sayward. Like he'd, he's asking, like nobody could tell oh, him. And, and and the original scriptwriter, mm-hmm. right? Um, who wasn't either of those guys, and nobody knew what was going on. I remember the first time I watched this years ago, and it's like, wow, the Doctor is evil in this, like for reals. Yeah. And and he and 
I didn't buy his trial excuse of this is all some ploy mm -hmm. because yeah. they don't really pay that off. Oh, right. And the doctor admits he has no memory of this at first. And then when he starts getting his memory back, it's like, yeah, this is what happened, but the emphasis is all wrong. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle there, but I don't know. It they they don't they don't clearly establish that the doctor has not been turned evil by this. Yeah. And I my head canon is no, he 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 really gets rattled. Yeah. Yeah. The doctor like claiming in the doctor when he's in the dock claiming it's a ploy felt like I don't know what's really going on, but it must be like it. I couldn't possibly yeah. have well, turned because he doesn't remember. That's what well, it felt right. like. Well, in the Matrix, you know, of course, the Matrix doesn't lie, just like Vulcans don't lie. And of course, as we find <laughs> out later that yeah, the Matrix can be influenced. I, I I kept wanting them to go. Wait, guys, you've you've just acknowledged last episode that the Matrix can be altered, right? Yeah. I mean, that's because Earth was out two million two light years out of place or whatever. And so obviously the the matrix can be can be altered. Why is why aren't you raising that point? Right, right. And, and the fact is, is like when you talk about oh the matrix doesn't lie, but he and he says you know your your the emphasis is all wrong, and it's sort of something we've been we talk about today, which is a picture or even a video doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily tell the whole story because it only captures one aspect, one one limited amount of time, or one angle of the picture, or you know what I mean? It's like taken out of context. Mm -hmm. And and so I, I I get that, but uh, the other thing is is the the whole Earth you know the Doctor at the beginning of this episode keeps wanting to go back to, hey wait a minute we we skipped over a very important thing that Earth was out of place by two light years let you know so you guys are wanting to ignore this let's go back to that and they're like nope nope we're going on we're moving and I mean mm. it's very suspicious <laughs> let's just yeah. say so this clearly they're building up to something something nefarious is is happening here. I did like at the very beginning of this episode. I, I want to don't want to miss that because I, I want to make a point of it. That very first scene where the the Doctor and the Valiant are kind of sparring, verbally sparring again, and mm -hmm. the Inquisitor comes in and smacks them both down, which is a lot of which is a lot of fun. Like yeah. you know, the the Doctor calls the Inquis the, uh, the the Valiant on being a uh, you know a sycophant with the uh, the Inquisitor. Because he calls her sagacity, which <laughs> is not a recognized legal title in, on Gallifrey. Right, right. And then she tells him to stop calling you the Valyard, you know, the Barnyard, the Axeyard, and all these other things. <laughs> I, I, yeah, so so speaking of the yard, I've been keeping account. Uh -huh. So in Mysterious Planet, the doctor called the Valyard the Boatyard, the Graveyard, the Farmyard, the Scrapyard. And he didn't quite call him the Knacker's Yard, but that was that came up too. In this episode, because of the smackdown that Madam Inqu Inquisitor puts on on the Doctor, he only gets out Brickyard, mm -hmm. <laughs> and and she then names a few others. But the of what he is not to call right. the Valyard. The only new one though is the Backyard, <laughs> right? <laughs> which which would would be an American expression because in uh, in England, I gather they the, what we call the Backyard, they call the garden. Yep. Right, right, the back garden or the garden, yeah, <laughs> or any other kind of yard. Which is which was fun. Uh, we uh, so we we haven't seen what leads up to this adventure, which is regarding the the warlords. You know, the Doctor and Perry are talking about the, these warlords that they'd run into, who had deadly beam weapons that came from the planet that they're now on, the the Sills planet. And so the Doctor says that you know we want to stop advanced civilizations from meddling in less developed ones, which is interesting considering what he's on trial for, which is exactly mm -hmm. that meddling in less advanced civilizations. So that I thought that was interesting. 
Yeah, that's just the excuse to get the story started. Yep. Yeah. They need some reason to be on this planet and, oh, okay, we're tracking down a weapon supply. Right. They get the, these phaser boxes things. So we, uh, Yurkados ends up helping them escape. They get captured. They're in Crozier's lab. Crozier's yet another mad scientist figure. We've seen a lot of those. Yeah, another really emotionless mad scientist in this case. He doesn't care about anything. Mm-hmm. Right. Completely amoral, immoral. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the one we talk, just talked about in the Fourth Doctor story, the uh, where we met the Sisterhood of Karn, and uh, who, yeah, uh, Morbius at least yes. though was like over the top emotional, yeah, right. And I mean, yeah, he was totally amoral, but he was he was fun. This guy is like ice, yeah, by comparison. Yeah, there's like yeah, there's basically those two kinds of the the, the two kinds of mad scientists. Either the ones who are like always crazy, ah, or the other ones who are just completely emotionless. And I am. Very serious uh, scientist. Uh, so, yeah, and and it there's an for someone in the future there is a really interesting mad scientist writing slash acting choice that's in the middle of those, mm-hmm. where you have a mad scientist who seems totally normal, but they're just doing mad scientist things. Mm-hmm. By way of comparison, you know, whenever anybody is like possessed in one of these shows by a alien or something. They either, they, I mean, they they tend to behave really over the top in some way, or they tend to just become completely emotionless. Yeah. And there's actually a fascinating middle that they do on Deep Space Nine. I think it's in The Reckoning, but Keiko O'Brien gets possessed oh, yeah. by one of the Pa Wraiths, mm-hmm. and she is totally normal. Except for the fact she's a paw wraith. Right. And so she's like, Miles, you're not going to let me eat all of this box of chocolates, are you? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 okay, Miles, I guess I'm going to have to stop Keiko's heart now. Yeah. <laughs> and, Which makes it even it, creepier. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and having that be totally normal mm. is just breaks the the trope of either the mm-hmm. over the top shouting villain or the icy icy emotionless possessed person and and having someone who's normal is like even harder to deal with and therefore more interesting right yeah. right speaking of crozier there is a, a moment where the doctor has escaped and he's he's got this need to find out if the if the creature the HR puffin stuff creature really did attack the doctor cuz everyone keeps saying it couldn't have attacked you it's 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 very peaceful and if it cause, because Crozier's doing these mutations and and mm-hmm. and has genetically altered the 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 rock it's called and uh yeah R A A K not the guy who's like the mixed martial arts <laughs> yeah. champ right and uh they they keep saying we have to recapture the doctor so that we can figure out whether the rock really attacked and I'm thinking assume it did move on like why is this mm-hmm. such a it's such a huge plot point that we have to recapture the doctor well, otherwise well, there's no way to tell whether this thing is gone loopy or not and i just well, okay and they, do, they do play out why it's such a concern is after they do the transfer of kiv to that other slug the, the brown slug creature instead of the green slug creature yeah it's they say that the host cells are taking over the brain of Kiv, that's why he's suddenly all of a sudden interested in fish and smelling fish and wants fish because he came from a fisherman. This is what right. the body came from a fisherman. And that, but they don't, they just, they, they're so concerned at the beginning of the story about did this creature attack the doctor and Perry? And then they just throw this one line in and that's it. Yeah. yeah. So they, they play it out, but they play it out in such a 
quiet, quick way that it's like, oh, okay, that's why this was such a big deal in the beginning, because they're worried about if they put Kiv's brain in another body, yeah. is that other b- body going to take over Kiv? Right. Right. So the the rock was a sea creature that they then upgraded to be able to perform slave labor for them. Right. And and they're concerned that the that over time the techniques they use to uplift the rock may revert. Mm-hmm. And so it can its base nature can reassert itself. And mm-hmm. they don't want that to happen to Lord Kiv into whatever body they put him in. And they do put him into another so the the race that Sill and Kiv belong to, the slug-like race, they're called the Mentors, yep. and and I guess they do lots of work with kids at summer camp or something <laughs> to earn that title. Mm. But the Mentors, they apparently come in more than one color. All of the ones we see are green, except for this one that's brown mm-hmm. that has died. And it was a fisherman, and and so there. Before they put Kiv's mind into Perry, they put Kiv's brain into this dead mentor. So you got a little Frankenstein action going on here, and we've also got Chekhov's stinger on the mantelpiece <laughs> because they make a point of this brown body that they put Kiv into, the brown slug body has apparently the mentors are a, a race with a lot of mutations which is why Kiv's brain is outgrowing his skull mm-hmm. because he's a mutation and that's one of the things that's happening with him but this this uh brown uh mentor has its primordial stinger at the end mm-hmm. of its slug body so it could it could you know sting people and poison them and then they never do anything with that right it's like, come on, you know the rule. You show me the stinger, you got to use it. Exactly. <laughs> right. I kept waiting for that. There is a moment where Perry has to explain to Erkanos about where she's from. She's from Earth. And she describes Earth as lots of madmen playing at warriors and actors mm-hmm. playing over the top in politics, which is a super 1986 <laughs> yeah. specific yeah. reference to the Cold War and Ronald Reagan. I, th- I thought that was a very interesting decision there to, to make it because Perry is is being played as American. She's, she's right. uh, even the actress is British. The, I noticed in some of the online materials that there is, there are scenes cut most specifically scenes from the trial. Yeah. Good riddance. Mm. Now is, is, was the, were those aired originally? Like what happened to those or could, because they're not in the, the, the Brit box version I've been watching. Uh, do you guys know what what happened to those deleted scenes? I, I don't know anything in particular. I mean, there was already enough scenes from the trial, especially at the very beginning, where they'd show like one little one little scene and immediately switch to the, the trial, trial and then back to another yeah. scene and back to the trial. I mean, it was yeah, yeah. And the way that the way that this was all written, the scripts for the base story were written first and then the trial scenes were written by a different person mm-hmm. to oh, okay. overlay on top of that and they may have had they may have deliberately filmed additional material because they didn't know how it would all cut together right. okay and they may have wanted additional options that I don't know what I do know is the trial is very uninteresting to me because all it is is bickering mm-hmm. and they and I don't know what the I don't know why this is but I, I've been I've been watching a number of you know shows lately where people are being put on trial and why does everyone want to go pro per? 
they, right. why do they all want to defend themselves right. instead of having a lawyer? And and they always point out it's you know it's stupid to do this, but then they do it anyway. And I, I just do not. I mean, I understand that the uh, the writers think it's going to be more dramatic mm-hmm. if the hero is speaking for himself, but it is just such a cliched trope to have people representing themselves the legal term for that the slang term is proper it's short for in propria persona mm-hmm. which means in latin means in one's own person or right. on one's own behalf and i i don't think they see the i understand the writers need to create drama and conflict but i think they're missing the opportunity to have drama and conflict arising from between the main character who's on trial and his legal counsel. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of interesting stuff you could play out there where, okay, if the doctor had a counselor that was representing him, okay, let's think about what drama we could get from that. I mean, obviously we can have squabbling, you know, because, I mean, that's all he's doing with the failure anyway is squabbling. He may as well squabble with his own counsel. At least I'd give him a a second person Mm -hmm. to squabble with. But assuming the doctor does not know everything about Gallifreyan law, which he obviously doesn't here, he could become dependent on his counsel for, uh, you know, his, his... he can, there can come a point where he can realize his life is on the line based on his counsel. Is his counsel really competent or not? Is his counsel really on his side or not? Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of interesting things you could do there. Right, right. I mean, in this, he, he says, uh, you know, I, I, I want to defend myself because I don't trust any Time Lord to defend me. So he comes right out and says it. But yeah, you're right. It, it, it would be more interesting to have I mean, like in the the Star Trek one we talked, we discussed recently the original series where Kirk was on trial in the court martial, and he we, we they gave us a character, you know, yeah. of of Your a Cogli- lawyer, Samuel T. Cogley, right? Yep. And that could have been an interesting addition without losing the Doctor as the main character. I mean, there, mm. there could still be interaction between the lawyer and the Doctor, and the Doctor could interject and be told by his counsel to sit down. You know, that, those standard things like that. But yeah, yeah, otherwise it's just yeah. the doctor bickering with the Villiard. And just like on Star Trek, the Gallifrey and Stam- Stam- Samuel T. Cogley can get up at the end and make a big emotional and legally unpersuasive <laughs> speech and save the day. And just, <laughs> right. just remember, too, there's, there's a, a phrase out there about he who is his own counsel has a fool for a client. <laughs> right, that's right. And it shows time and time and time and time again in these shows. Yeah. So... uh there's some interesting interactions between Perry and Erkunos uh, when they're on the run from the Doctor and the mentors. Um, at one point, she doubts the reality of destiny, and Erkunos uh, is freaks out. Is freaks yeah. out because you know life would be meaningless without destiny. Uh, he's also apparently his culture death is the is something to be uh, uh, embraced because that's when you ultimately enter into Valhalla of, of a sort. Well. So, okay, so he's got this really Klingon ideology. Yeah. I mean, if you think about this guy in terms of next gen, this guy's a Klingon, a really (laughs) weird Klingon, but he's a Klingon. He even says that this is a great day to die. (laughs) Yes. And so they've got this battle ethic, and he says on his planet, when you die, your souls get reborn, so they believe in reincarnation, Mm -hmm. but you move up this ladder where you become king, which is where he is. 
And then in his next life, he's going to get to go to, he is going to get to go to Valhalla, where he'll be with other kings and they'll fight gloriously in battle and apparently never die or something. Right, right. They also don't have the concept of love. Uh, the Perry has to explain to Yurknos and Durf the dog boy what love is and and, and so forth, which is kind of uh, odd. Yeah, that was just dumb. Yeah, well, we because have... Yurknos has already sort of expressed affection for Perry, right? Expressed yeah, affection. I... He's, he's picked her as his queen. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> So uh, it, it must be the it must be her natural beauty and those amazing pumps that she's wearing with the three inch heels running around stiletto heels <laughs> running around these caverns. That's right, right, right. Those caverns must have very uh, level. It's like floors. Perry, how long have you been with the doctor? Practical shoes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Get some flats, some uh, some <laughs> tennis shoes. Well, you know, it took. The, I mean, it only took the doctor what t- ten regenerations before he finally figured out that you know, yeah. Converse are much more comfortable than, like, leather shoes. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you mentioned to me that the Time Lords pull the Doctor out of time before he can save Perry. And they say, well, you've set in motion events that would change time forever. And I'm thinking, so then why not let him fix it? Like, fix why him. did you pull yeah. him out so he couldn't fix it? And Yeah. And and the, 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 they are, the MacGuffin, I don't know what the, it's not a MacGuffin, but the, the justification is, well, Crozier... You helped him perfect his technique that would cause immortality to spread among the the universe and everyone would be immortal forever. And I'm thinking, wouldn't Crozier, like, I don't think the doctor actually uh, helped him all that much. He eventually would have perfected it, I would think. The, this this technique. I mean, well, but it, but if he wouldn't have perfected it for Lord Kiv, he would have been killed by Lord Kiv's bodyguard, and he wouldn't have been able to have the opportunity to perfect it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. Uh, so we should probably explain that a little bit more. So initially in this story, they're doing a Frankenstein bit about trans, literally transferring Lord Kiv's brain mm-hmm. yep. into a new skull that has more growth room for his brain. And and that makes sense when they find the brown slug guy that they put him in. And they say it's only temporary. It's just this is going to be a temporary thing. We got to find a better long-term home for you because this guy's brain brain pan is only a little bit bigger. So it'll 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 let your brain grow for a while, but we're going to need a more permanent solution. And then now Perry's head is obviously smaller than <laughs> the giant, you know, polystyrene monster head that they've made for the male actor playing mm-hmm. Kiv and yeah. the brown slug and so uh, they I, I i i was i it'd been a while since i'd watched this and i was thinking okay so how are they going to justify or are they going to justify how his brain fits into Perry's obviously much smaller skull and the way they do it is they shift. It's no longer a brain transference. It's a mind transference. Right. So they're just downloading his personality into Perry and overwriting her native personality. Yep. And that's the immortality thing, that anybody from here on out, Crozier says, we can just do this with anybody. And so nobody would have to die. And it really would. Except all the people you're overwriting, obviously, but then they don't count. And obviously that would be a concern to Time Lords. 
I mean, they have themselves the 12 regeneration limit at this point. And so they they have an ideology that says nobody should be completely immortal, even if you live a long time, and especially a kind of immortality where you're overwriting people. Yeah. Now, this wouldn't, from a faith perspective, this is just playing with someone's memory. This is not real immortality. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're just effectively hypnotizing someone into thinking they're someone else, but they're really not. Mm-hmm. And the real person does die when their brain stops working. But this would be something that I could see the Time Lords intervening to stop. But the way they do it is horrifying. I mean, yanking the doctor out in this way. And then they deliberately stall Urkanos in a time bubble to allow everything to be just right in the operating theater for Erkanos to burst in and shoot everybody dead. Yep. So it's really cold and horrifying the way they do it. Also, in terms of thinking through the logic of this, I wouldn't worry about that too much because as the doctor himself has been shouting, there's something else going on here. Mm-hmm. There's a secret agenda. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, some of this doesn't make sense. And they haven't revealed what the secret agenda is yet. Okay. Right. Uh, yeah, the, the the whole time Yerkados in the time bubble, like why, I don't, I I also didn't get why making him wait and bursting in and shooting was better well, than just letting him burst in and shoot before and, it and happens. Es- and especially since they said that the reason why they pulled the doctor out when he did is he couldn't get there in time anyways. He wouldn't have been able to right. reach the room to stop the transference to Perry in the first place. So let's just yank him out here, but then we're not going to get Yerkanos there in time to shoot the machine so it doesn't happen. Right. Right. So, like you said, Jimmy, that maybe that has to do with the overall uh, subplot, the subtext of, of all this that the the Time Lords are doing to manipulate things. So um, the Doctor may or may not be included on that. So we end this with another dead companion, which is uh, somewhat distressing. And uh, I love the way she goes out, though. I mean, becoming yeah. a horrible shouting villain and then being yeah. shot dead by her former boyfriend, sort of. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's awesome. That's <laughs> one. It's, it's one way to go. I mean, it's not quite the heroic end of uh, Adric, but uh, well, it's a lot better than you know going off with Sabalom Glitz. Yeah. <laughs> that's certainly true. That's certainly true. Oh man. Um, anything else left to say about this, Father Corey? Uh, nothing here, Jimmy. So, um, we didn't really talk much about Sill in this episode. Ugh. But, you know, he was popular enough as a villain in Vengeance at Faros that they wanted to bring him back. And they've toned him down a little here. They did. He's he's not making as many of the weird noises that the actor made the first time. Yeah. But I do like how he is... I, I like how he greets the doctor just very cordially, you know, oh, doctor, such a pleasure to meet you and your revoltingly ugly assistant. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and and then later on, they're, they're, they, the doctor mentions Perry in front of him and he's like, oh, the revolting one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. right. <laughs> and, and then when uh, when they uh, when it's re- when Crozier reveals he's going to put uh, Kiv's mind into Perry's body. Uh, Sill is disappointed that he's going to go, that his Lord is going to go into such an ugly body. (laughs) So that's interesting. Uh, so we didn't also really didn't talk much about Dorf, Mm. right? Dorf is an assistant and they use actually a fancy Royal title for him. It's, I mean, the title is not itself Royal, but it's, it's the kind of 
it's a, it's a person who assists royalty mm-hmm. with certain things, and it's a, like an old British title. You don't hear it a lot, but he was then by Crozier turned into a wolf man, and right. but he's not like he doesn't shift back and forth. He's permanently half man, right. half wolf. He's his own best friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, he's uh, he's certainly not shown much love by anybody else in the series. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I I like the actor's choice. So they've they've given the actor these huge canines mm-hmm. as a mouth prosthesis, and he spends a lot of the time with his mouth just open to to make it look like he's a like a wolf who's about to bite, and he just walks around like that a lot, even though real wolves don't do that. But I, I thought that was an interesting, effective acting choice to remind us he's a wolf man, because the most wolf-like thing about him is the teeth. Yeah. I mean, he looks much more wolf-like if he keeps his mouth open than not. He's, it's, this is, since this has taken place in caves anyway, it's dimly lit. And and it's it's he's harder to see and harder to see the details mm-hmm. of. So that was, I thought, an effective choice on his part. I also, as I mentioned, I just love Irkanos, Brian Blessed's performance as Irkanos and how over the top it is. Uh, shortly after the doctor has had his brain addled by the brain scan, Irkanos, they've escaped and Irkanos is saying to the doctor how they're going to counterattack. And, and he's saying, We'll pile the heads of our enemies before us like melons in a heap. Yeah. And the doctor is like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, the doc. I mean, that's the mind war part of it is the doctor has his brain kind of scrambled by Crozier. And that's why we are you know, we, uh, the reason we're given for why he acts the way he does the rest of the story um, that that Adeline. Oh, one other thing. Thoros Beta, so they're on Thoros Beta in the twenty late twenty fourth century, and so they're all I guess are contemporary with Star Trek Next Generation. Yeah, and Thoros Beta is a planet that apparently has had a near fatal encounter with a Quantel paint box. <laughs> <laughs> this was a program that was used back in the nineteen eighties to adjust color in video and wow have they adjusted the colors on the exterior shots of Thoros Beta. <laughs> it is totally trippy, man. Yeah. But I like it. I like that they're trying I mean it's not really believable, but I like that they're doing that and they're showing me something other than the inside of a quarry. Yeah. Now I've got a beach that is <laughs> looks like you're on magic mushrooms or something. <laughs> exactly. Yes. That is true. That is true. Uh, I, one of the things I was amused by was uh, at one point, um, Crozier in his lab, uh, the, his assistant tells him that uh, Kiv is having uh, is undergoing ca- cardiac arrest while Crozier's drinking his tea, and he continues to like sip his tea. Yeah. Like, oh yes, yeah. the, the emotionalist mad scientist bit. <laughs> um, yeah, that was that was good. That was one thing I, I had in my notes that I wanted to mention. Um, I think that about does it then. Um, uh, that uh, the mind warp. Yeah, we'll see where we go. Again, I'm. I'm a little disappointed about Perry's end here, but uh, we'll, you know, we'll see with the, the well, rest I of the Well, I thought it was a great ending as long as they would leave it alone. But <laughs> yeah. They don't leave it alone. No. Oh, okay. All right. Perry well, Perry does not come back into the series, but they do take the sting out of this a little bit. Okay. All right. Um, well, we'll I'll, I'll have to wait and see. 
All right, we want to take a moment as we finish up to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Danny L., Joshua G., Father Michael G., Frank V., and Gray B. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of the Sixth Doctor story, Mind Warp? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 11th Doctor story, A Town Called Mercy. Oh. <laughs> I'm just you waiting for no that. have no mercy, Dom. <laughs> no and, mercy. And I, I thought I lucked out by missing dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Dom, you cannot run from the sins of your past. <laughs> <laughs> or the future, in this case. Father Cory Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. <laughs> <laughs> You're not sure. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, gentlemen, may I remind you, this is a court of law, not a debating society for maladjusted psychotic sociopaths. Right. This is going to be fun. That's our new tagline for the show.